just listen along. We're going to talk about some geopolitics in East Africa, maybe get to West Africa. I've titled this the Water and Gold Wars because that's what's going on. We have to focus on Sudan, especially, and then Ethiopia and Egypt. And this is going to matter, especially to Europeans. Obviously, it matters to the people that live in those states I just named, but this will relate to refugees. This will relate to mercenaries bleeding into Libya, Yemen, and you know, you'll see some Traweg in Mali and Niger and getting into West Africa as well. So let's break down this situation. About a year ago, while the conflict in Ukraine and Russia and Donbass was kicking off, Really, it's a war with NATO. Let's be honest, it's a proxy war. Varg and I were on the What Really Happened show. I was substituting for Mike Rivero on GCN, or RBN, excuse me, RBN. Uh, he retired about a month ago, but I was lucky enough to have his show. I had on a guest from Norway, and we were talking about some of the ramifications from the war in Ukraine and Russia on the global south especially as well as Europe. And one of the predictions we made was that there obviously people were always focused on oil and gas. And this is before the Nord Stream pipeline had been blown up, but they were not paying attention to some of the offshoots of things from natural gas, like the chemicals that are used to produce in fertilizer as what, which in, relates to grains and then physical grain itself. Ukraine is a breadbasket or was, and so is Russia. And in the sanctions are not allowing states to buy from Russia. And physically, Ukraine cannot get its goods out of the Black Sea because of the botched grain deal and the fact that they were using civilian ships to slide in weapons and, and sailors has closed that off. And so places that were already teetering on food security, like Egypt, have had enormous trouble making up for the grain shortages. They don't have the capital to really buy the exuberant prices from third parties. So Egypt has had to take out loans, 11% uh, of their debt from the UAE, 8% from Saudi Arabia. That's a lot for a state like Egypt, which is the largest Arab state in the world. We're talking about 114 million people, I believe. And they're also very reliant from ancient times to now on the Nile. And so there's wheat shortage and grain shortage in general caused by the conflict in Ukraine. And now there's a double whammy because Egypt could try to grow its own grain if it had enough water for irrigation. But they've been struggling since 2020 with that because the Blue Nile, the white and the Blue Nile feed into the Nile River. The Blue Nile is a lot of bulk of the water begins in Ethiopia and Lake Tana. And Ethiopia has built with the Americans a giant electrical dam, which they desperately need. 50%, 50% of Ethiopia doesn't have daily electricity. That's amazing. This is the modern world, and we have a state, a pretty modern state in some parts. Well, especially the, the most modern chunk was Eritrea, which broke away, is now an independent state. But Ethiopia desperately needs this for electrical power, and this will not engage in fossil fuels. It's a giant hydro dam. But what happens when you dam up a river? Well, everybody downriver from that has depleted water reserves. They've done, they've done several reservoir fills already, 
and it has caused water scarcity in both Sudan and Egypt. Now, the kooks will blame this all on climate change. There's rivers drying up. No, it's not from climate change. It's from a very man-made giant dam on Lake Tana that Ethiopia does have the right to build for their electrical power. But Egypt and Sudan have been unable to get a united front to negotiate with Ethiopia about what, what kind of re resolution they can have to the depleted water reservoirs. Egypt is unable to irrigate enough grain, and of course they cannot import it, and they cannot continue to take out more loans by the expensive kind from super far away. And so, could Egypt just take it from Ethiopia? Well, yeah, physically they're able to. They have a much larger military, 300 combat aircraft versus 20, and a much larger state, but politically that would be suicide. I mean, that was, it's politically unfeasible. You can't just blow up the dam that would flood the Sudan and flood parts of Ethiopia. I mean, this is not a video game. This is real life. So you have to negotiate. They would be in a much more favorable position if they could link up with Sudan. This is not South Sudan. This is Sudan. To have a united front since both of them are, are getting depleted water reservoirs because of the Blue Nile being dammed up then you would have two states with different things to offer. And Sudan has a lot of oil, a lot of gold, a lot of other resources. However, uh, the issue is Sudan has been in a sort of semi-civil war since April. And really, these factions have been growing since the Darfur crisis. So what you have, and I, I had a map on ANC report, the sort of northwest and, and, and including the southwest corner of Sudan is run by the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces of Mohammed Habdan Dangalo, which we always, he's sort of nicknamed Hamidi. And then the rest of Sudan is under the SAF, the Sudanese Armed Forces, under Abran, Abdul Fattah Abran, if you need his whole name. I'm just going to call him Buran, and I'm going to call the RSF Hamidi because I don't need the Muhammad Amnandangala Hamidi every time I say their name, okay? So just remember, RSF western side, that's Hamidi. Eastern side and the side that borders the Red Sea, the one that has the Sudanese port, the, the more important side when it comes for global trade, the side that has a lot of the oil, that's the SAF, that's under Al-Bruhan. But the West has a valuable resource too, gold. And we're talking tens of billions of dollars per year on the, uh, on the white market and really on the black market, which is about 80% of the gold market out of Sudan. It's far higher, probably eight times higher than that. And who's buying gold? Well, the UAE. So the UAE is playing both sides against one another. But uh, Mohammed Habdan Dongalo, I said I wasn't going to say his name again, but Hamidi is... A military leader and what he has done is his brothers are one of his brothers is a general of the RSF and the two of them share a bank account in Abu Dhabi in the United Emirates and where they obviously they're receiving funds for above and black market gold but also Abdul Rahim Dangalo the brother is running a private mining and trading company called Al-Junaid. Al-Junaid is 
a legit organization for trade, but they're using front companies and possibly Wagner forces to secretly transit gold either through Libya or uh, around and pirated out the black the black sea the red sea couldn't get the black sea that'd be pretty far away through the red sea up the suez canal um you know in egypt <clears throat> runs the suez so this is where sometimes you can go through aden there's a mercenary fighter well it's called yemen now but in the city of aden there's ways around to get it some of it's flown out um but they have several methods of smuggling these goods and you can always bribe grease some hands they're getting the gold out there 16 billion dollars in 2021 that's up each year 2022 2023 there's been an increase in gold smuggling to the uae and they have partners in the uae so i'll give you some of these details the united emirates national security advisor is tanud bin zaid just remember just call him tanud there's lots of zaid so we'll go with tanun Tanun bin Said acts as the middleman for Hamidi's gold for mercenaries trade. And this is what they're getting. They're getting fighters from Yemen, Libya, to who are experienced veterans and crack troops to join the RSF in its fight with the SAF. The SAF has been pretty much dependent on airstrikes on RSF positions. The RSF is decentralized. They've been moved from the capital that's fighting all across the country now. But the gold mines, including the large one in Darfur, are solidly under RSF control. The SAF, despite having twice as many troops, uh, is unable to project power into the West. And a lot of that is because armaments are coming straight from the UAE. Uh, the UAE... Um, they there's it's not purple shovel but it's a similar organization that has moved small arms out of serbia and you know bulgaria and places like that same network that was arming al-qaeda groups in syria has you know look they're there for the the money not the ideology so much and they've gotten weapons so that gives them plausible deniability because a lot of these um armaments have ended up under the control of the rsf and I had a video, it's on my Twitter page, and it's on ANC Report, and I showed it on Rumble yesterday. It's in Arabic. You can hear them saying, blah, 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 UAE, you know, but it's showing armaments from the UAE of these, uh, um, <clears throat> these, these uh, am ammunition for bombs, essentially, for and for air-to-surface, or from, excuse me, surface-to-air missiles, which is what the... RSF greatly wants if you can take out the uh, air power of the SAF. They're not too keen on engaging them in and on the ground. So these are coming in basically in, in a deal for you as long as you keep smuggling out the gold, which they're getting cheap and making bank on, literally making bank on, they will procure the black market's weapons to you. And sometimes they just send in them weapons straight from the UAE, just as the just as they and Saudi Arabia did in Yemen fighting the Houthis, uh, openly Saudi Arabia was at war with Yemen. Uh, and, but a lot of these mercenary groups were also paid for by other GCC countries. Very similar recycling to what they did in Syria. But they were not getting the gold out of Yemen. That's a different can of worms. So you have Tanud bin Zaid working with Abdul Rabin Dangalo, who's the brother of Hamedi. 
he has another brother who's in charge of a front in Sudan. By the way, the UAE is importing 99.2% of the gold above board, with 80% of that being illegal, but it's still almost 100% of the gold smuggling is all the UAE. So a lot of people assume, oh, it's, it's neocolonialism from Europe or America, because usually that is true. But in this case, no. This is the UAE's got its thumb in Sudan this time. The gold is moved through uh, what I found, and this is in Global Watch Report and other. I found some uh, <clears throat> some African Central sites and stuff, but it's from Tradive General Trading, which is registered in the UAE. The company owner, of course, is Abdul Rahim Dangalo. So his brother is not only. Uh, for Al June Aid, he also has Tradev General Trading, which could be the English name for that anyway. The other front is called GSK, not to be confused with a different GSK, but that one's registered in Sudan, and that one's run by Hamedi's other uh, brother, and his name is, was uh, Algone Dangalo. So the, Algone and Abdul Dangalo are the two brothers. One has a Sudan front company. One has a UAE front company plus a legit UAE company. And then, of course, Hamidi and Abdul share in the uh, bank account in Abu Dhabi. So Sudan and Ethiopia also have another conflict besides the water issue, and that is with a territory called Al-Fashaga. And right now it's under, I don't know, I'm not going to get into who I think it belongs to, but based on possession is nine-tenths of the law, it's under Sudanese control right now. Uh, and so that is something they could possibly negotiate away if they want more of this water from the Nile out of Ethiopia. That is a bargaining chip to say, well, maybe you can have or share or get a piece of this territory back in return for the water to keep on flowing or drain one of these reservoirs or don't fill up another one so large. There are things that could be done to negotiate. I don't think military conflict's completely off the table. If they get desperate enough, that is something that Egypt could probably just side with the SAF and then quickly squash the RSF. And then they have, would have a united front to negotiate with Ethiopia. As far as Egypt just invading Ethiopia or the SAF and Egypt versus the two, I don't see that as a real realistic scenario ethiopia is geographically a, a monolith very difficult to pierce and it would be much easier and stronger uh realistic to have united front negotiations and taking out the rsf paramilitary group in sudan is far more feasible especially with the SAF ally than it would be to try and <laughs> invade Ethiopia. So that is a possibility. Now the RSF, it obviously it has its allies in the UAE because they're smuggling gold. Well, as I stated in the beginning, Egypt is also borrowing money from the UAE to pay. And it's got a lot of debt there because it has to pay for the grain that's been caused by the shortages of a, the war in Ukraine and B the damming of the, Blue Nile. So they're kind of caught in a catch-22. They can't really attack the RSF without 
pissing off the UAE who's loaning them the money for the grain. They can't really get the water they need for the grain unless they get rid of the RSF and negotiate with Ethiopia. And so they either need to find another partner to float them loans, and then their hands would be free to go after the RSF. But that would probably create a... Suddenly, there's an Arab Spring and terrorist attacks all over Egypt sponsored by the Saudis and UAE. Or, in my opinion, and this would this would require there being adults in the room, which there aren't. If Ethiopia's electrical production, I see the request. I'm going to get it in just one minute. They will their their electric production. In theory, if this dam produces what the experts say, they should have. Uh, excess electricity to sell to their neighbors. So not only could they electrify Ethiopia, they would have electricity left over maybe to sell cheaper to Sudan and Egypt, which would offset that cost, and then that savings created by that could be used to purchase grain until this war ends. You could just lift the sanctions on Russia, but that won't happen because of NATO. Um, so it's a tight situation now. As long as this conflict, and it gets worse and exacerbated by the dropping water levels, um, everything gets more expensive. People turn to mercenary work, and on both sides, you're seeing these mercenaries get trained and hardened and, and fighting each other, but it spills over. They're in Libya. They're entering into Mali. The Twelrig is pissed off by the sort of winner-take-all ethnic nepotism that exists all over that the Horn of Africa and West Africa. You're seeing Nigeria face and a coalition facing off against Niger and a couple of smaller states. And then you see the French uh, being thrown out of all these areas. Now, this is not a case of the proletariat is rising against the man and kicking out the colonial French oppressors. Da, da, da. No, they want the French there because the French have foolishly tried to play referee. And so they'll have whoever gets elected democratically, everyone else is completely out. So all the different minority factions that don't win the government are completely, uh, they, they feel completely disenfranchised and I can't really disagree what France does is when these rebel groups band together to attack the state, the French holds them in place. But they also prevent the government from going and ethnically cleansing the rebel groups. When the French are removed, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have a huge increase in black-on-black -black crime. And a lot of this also is, in, in the West, it's a Christian-Muslim thing. In the East, it's an Arab non-Arab, Arab-speaking, non-Arab-speaking thing. So these are very rigid, not just based on sort of um, arbitrary differences. These are pretty significant. Like you don't speak the same language as the government. You know, that's a pretty big deal. Um, Nigeria is pretty fragile too, has been since the Biafran War. So, but they're pretty much in, in the pocket of the United States and they will be used as a, policemen on the block to hammer their neighboring states. Now, Wagner has been accused by the SAF in Sudan of transporting the gold to the UAE in behalf of the RSF with Hamidi. And they probably did. 
And the RSF has accused Wagner of aiding the SAF. And that's also true. <laughs> because Wagner is a mercenary army. And they will facilitate the gold trade to the UAE for benefits. And they will also support uh, weapons trade to the SAF. Same reason. More money, more conflict, more conflict, more power. Now in the West, they're doing something completely different. The French are out. The French are playing referee. It's not working. The disenfranchised rebels say, just get out. You know, we don't have any concessions from this government. We're going to use force to get it. Well, Wagner is not going, they're not into this egalitarian, what they would consider nonsense. They were just going to side with the government. We're going to squash the rebels. But in exchange, we want mining rights and other resources. And so the Russian faction is is really the, there, it's not a coup d'etat on their part. The coup is coming from legit grievances from all these different ethnic groups that are getting screwed. But they're more than happy to say, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to sit here and create this ongoing stalemate, which creates stagnation and keep Africa down. We're going to pick a team. We're going to squash the other team and we're going to, but we're going to get mineral rights out of it, which why not? Um, but you need to have a functional state. And so that's their plan. They're going to end up in the same quagmire as the French were. And that's why the French changed tactics. But uh, anyway, the result of all of this is going to be what? More refugees going which direction? North. Can't go east. As I just explained, they got enough problems over there. Um, there is nothing west but ocean. So up they go. Now, where are they going to end up? A lot of them are going to end up in France. Why? Because they speak French. Why? <laughs> because France colonized West Africa. But France has been dealing with enough riots of people who, through their own media, are conditioned to hate their guts. And there's more of that coming their way. And at the same time, France has shot its other foot by sanctioning Russia and going along with America's NATO game with Zelensky and Ukraine. Da, 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 da. They're losing armaments. They're losing money. Their cities have human trash. Paris looks like Detroit or San Francisco. It's utterly disgusting. But anyway, we have some requests. So let's see if I can do this right. Invite Varg to speak because... All right, let's approve uh, Edmund. Let's see. And I'll invite Melissa because I know her from ANC. And if you want, I think you just hit the microphone to request. Today, it doesn't matter if you're subscribed. Just, uh, I'm basically, it's my first space and I'm trying to um, figure it out. So, Edmund Wilson and Varg and Melissa, if you have whatever you want to say, your two cents, not whatever, but, you know, within the rules, <laughs> go for it.